As we begin to reintegrate into the world post-lockdown, we're confronted with the fact that our lives are not the same as they were before 2020. And with that comes the realization that a lot of us have to relearn, rebuild, and restart. Struggling to do so myself, I wondered how other people are able to rise from the ashes of crumbled moments throughout their lifetime. I'm Rebecca Lee, and this is season two. How the fuck did you bounce back? Uh, thanks for joining me. So excited to talk to you. Um, I don't know much about you other than you're in the comedy community, you're a photographer, and you're like the Nordstrom's. Is it? No, Neiman Marcus. Neiman Marcus, yeah. Neiman Marcus, like the face of Neiman Marcus right now? Yeah, very weird, right? <laughs> it's so cool. Like, I don't know what to, I don't know if that's what it's called, like the face, right? That's what it is. I don't know. I don't know. We haven't actually coined it or anything, but you know, when it's like, when it's like T-Mobile or AT&T, we call them the AT&T girl, even though they're like women, which I think is very funny. Yeah, that is. It's weird. But I mean, I guess it's like I'm the Neiman Marcus girl woman. <laughs> that's ex- that's so exciting. Um, when did you like start? This has nothing to do with the podcast. This is just me interested in this process. Uh, when did you when did that happen? Um, this past year. So it was like maybe this summer I auditioned and then had a call back and then booked it and there was potential for reoccurring, but you know, you read that a lot where they're like potentially reoccurring and you're like, potentially is not a thing. In yeah. this um, but it actually became reoccurring. So we've shot, I think six spots so far and we're shooting some more next month and yeah, it's pretty Yeah. It's just the best job, honestly. Like the entire team is so cool and collaborative and like, it's really a dream. It's so wild. That's so incredible. Yeah, you. I feel like you always see like, oh, it's uh, reoccurring, but then it like never happens. But like the few people, I've talked to one other person who was on like a TV show. I can't remember which one it was. Yeah. It's like it wasn't nine one one. It was like something in that world, and it was like supposed to be a co star, and then they became like on like eight episodes or something. And then I feel like that's like this. It's like you you go in thinking it's gonna be for one day or whatever, and then now you're still doing it. Yeah, it's so wild. I think anytime that happens to you as an actor, you're like, I am beyond grateful because we just know how difficult it is to book a singular job. So if it ever turns into a second day or recurring, you're like, I feel like I'm actually a working person. (laughs) Totally. Do you ever like... I feel like... Okay, we'll just start with the podcast because this is a question that goes hand in hand with that. Are you ever like... I don't know if I can keep going and being like an actor and an artist or are you like, are you like, I can't do anything else. Like I have to do this. I'm going to do like, what are your thoughts around that? Cause they've been talking a lot to actually musicians um, about their journey. Cause it's like, they're not in the same industry, but it's very similar in that. Like, you don't know when you're going to get your next job, especially if you're like a touring musician. And like, once the tour is over, it's six weeks of touring. You're like, I don't know what to do. And they were talking about like, how they keep going and if they want to keep going and all that stuff. So I'm just curious about how you feel in that realm. My gosh, I've thought about quitting acting more times than I've probably thought about working out. Like (laughs) it's like a daily, not a daily thought on a, in a good season. I think about it like maybe once every three months on a bad season, I'm like daily thinking like, why did I choose this? This is an insane career. It's like, is this sustainable? Is this healthy? I mean, that's a thought I've had many times. Like, is this a healthy career? Because 
it's like being in a relationship with a narcissist. It takes so much more than it gives Mm. And, and you're left drained a lot of the time. But, you know, the truth is, is like, I think I am just in like, I don't know if I'll always do acting. That's the truth. I don't know if I'll always continue. I love making people laugh. I love being funny, but on some level, I think spiritually, I'm like, I don't know if this, like, I don't know if I could see myself like 60 on set signing a waiver, an NDA for a freaking, you know, mm-hmm. national fast food commercial. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it just seems there are times where it seems really, um, you know, it just kind of seems like you're like, who is this for? And mm-hmm. and, do I need, and do I need this? Like, do I need it anymore? Yeah. You feel you feel similar or like Oh you- yeah. yeah. Like I'm always like I think I've recently come to terms with the fact that like okay, if this isn't cuz like I have, you know, other like I sell art and like I have other means of like getting income and stuff. But I'm like I guess if I have to like have side jobs forever, I guess I like I'm fine with it. Like I just want like I'm happy to bounce around in different like facets of being an artist, but like I, I feel like longer the days of me being like, and I'm going to make millions in a movie, you know, like I'm like not I don't think that anymore. Uh, but I'm like, yeah, I, I can do this, but I'm not going to like put all my eggs in this basket anymore. Like I feel like I used to. Yeah, I think that's such a smart way to do it, too. I feel like the happiest performers I know, whether you're a musician or an actor, tend to have other things that they love equally that are also artistic, usually like. I find that for myself is like, people always ask me, they're like, what do you like better? Do you like doing, like, do you like painting or do you like doing photography or do you like acting? And I'm kind of like, I don't think I can choose because I think they all play into each other and they're all like, they're seasonal. Like sometimes I'm only acting. Sometimes I'm only doing photography. Sometimes I'm painting and then doing photography. You know, it's just like, I don't know. I think they feed one another. And I think without that, there would be that like actor desperation, which I think is like a makes it nearly impossible for you to book anything. Oh, yeah. Because you're just like, it like reads. It's all over your face that you're like, I need this thing. And yeah, you're like, I need my insurance. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I feel the same way. Like being like an artist and having different, um, like being a multiple, multiple, oh my God. Multi, oh my God. Multiple dissonant, oh my God, I can't say it. No, you got this. You got this. Although I don't think I can say it. Multidisciplinary. Multidisciplinary. Yeah. That was really hard. Uh, artist, I feel like, thank God. Thank God I have other creative outlets. Oh my gosh, it's a lifesaver. I know I know so many actors that do not. And, and it's the same story for the past like 10 years where they're just like, I'm miserable. Are you auditioning? It's that, it's that weird, mm-hmm. are you auditioning right now? Are there any auditions? And it's like, I don't know, we're different people. I feel like we have a different everything like I can't you can't gauge it off of me yeah yeah I completely agree I completely relate to that so I'm glad that we found other art thank god (laughs) thank god okay uh so the question that I usually ask in every episode is um can you think of a time or a challenge or a low point in your life that you're most proud of overcoming and like kind of take us through how what it was and how it was and how you overcame it to, to the extent that you're comfortable sharing Okay. Yeah. I thought a lot about this because I'm like, gosh, we do overcome so much in our lives. Right. And, and so much of it's private, like so much of it's like secret and private and anonymous, you know, and stuff like that. And 
I think the thing, and I was really brainstorming and I'm like, I think the thing I'm most proud of overcoming and I'm not, and it's like, do you ever overcome or do you just like, are you just in recovery from, or you know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, is, uh, my eating disorder. I, mm-hmm. I like suffered from, you know, my like food therapist called it like disordered eating. We just didn't categorize it because it, she's like, sometimes it's more helpful. Like to just sort of umbrella it and call it a day. Um, but yeah, being in recovery from that, I think I like started recovery in 2015 and I've been in recovery since, which feels to me kind of miraculous. Yeah. What does recovery look like for you? And like, how did that start? Oh my gosh, it was such a dark day. It was truly like probably the darkest day of my life. I remember being up really late at night and I was like living in this tiny bungalow. And I do not know what happened, but I was like scrolling something and saw this video that's like, do you, do you have an eating disorder? It was like an informational video about eating disorders or something, which is funny. Cause I'm like, what a weird thing to click on, but I clicked on it and everything they listed, I was like, oh no, oh no, that is me. Like every item, there wasn't one item unchecked and I like spiraled at this time, I think. I think I'd been in therapy for a while, but I hadn't ever addressed this aspect of it because it's pretty easy to hide. And um, so I spiraled. I was supposed to go to a wedding that next day and I didn't go because I was like having a meltdown, like a meltdown of like, I have all all these characteristics of this thing and I don't know where to go from here. And I spoke to my therapist, I like see a somatic therapist and she gave me a referral for an an actual eating disorder like therapist. And there's a lot of ways to go around eating disorder, you know, treatment. You can be like inpatient, outpatient. And I chose the route of like doing specific therapy for it, but it was like extensive and um, I think like twice a week or something. It was like pretty intense. Um, And I did that for about a year. And some of my practice, some of like the things that they would have me do, like my therapist would be like, okay, your practice today is to eat a piece of bread. And like, it sounds like a joke if you've never suffered from an eating disorder, but I would sit there and be like, I feel like you're trying to make sure that I'm going to gain a ton of weight. And she was like, why would I do that? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know. There's nothing even wrong with gaining weight. Like part of recovery, what for me was gaining weight. And um, yeah, it was such an intense thing, but it's so wild because it truly rewired my brain and my thinking. Like I don't suffer from the same thing. Like I do not suffer from it anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. truly one of those things where it's like I eat normally today. Yeah. Just so crazy when I compared to what I used to do. Well, it's like you had to, like you said, you had to retrain your brain and like you've been, it, I mean, I think it's essentially like a habit, right? It's like the same neuro pathway we've been using that's been telling us whatever the story that it's telling us. And for like our whole, some of us for like our whole lives. And now all of a sudden you have to redirect it into another neural pathway. And you're like, I, I don't know how, I don't know how to do this. Yeah. And it's, yeah, that's exactly right. And it's, and there's like a level of resistance and painfulness because you can rewire your brain, but it takes repetitive, consistent action. 
and it takes new thoughts and it takes new, new everything to do that, but you have to stay consistent. And, you know, if there's anything I know about any sort of recovery, it's, is it's, you know, it's not, it's not like linear, you know, it's sort of like you have a relapse and you go back and whatever, but, you know, after that first year, yeah, part of the curriculum was reading intuitive eating, which is like an incredible book for anyone, including people who have, who do not suffer from eating disorder or eating disorders or disordered eating. But um, that's how I eat today. I eat intuitively. Can which, you like explain what that, because I think I know what it means, but not, I haven't read that book. I need to read it. I've seen like, you know, TikTok videos like um, of different therapists who are talking about this, but I'd love to hear it like from you. Yeah. I wish I was more of an expert on what it is, but from my experience of what, like how I treat intuitive eating is like, I check in with my body. I see what I want. Um, some mornings I wake up and I'm like, Ooh, I'm craving eggs. And like some mornings I wake up and I'm like, I think like a cinnamon roll would be nice. Or, um, I'm not hungry today. I'm not hungry right now. And it's honoring like your actual like your body's impulses and honoring the um, kind of cravings and desires. And also knowing that like, if you do wake up and you want like part of intuitive eating, part of my practice, like when I was in recovery was like, it. we don't, tr- part of having an eating disorder is you don't trust yourself to eat the, the appropriate or correct amount for your body, right? You don't trust something and you doesn't trust yourself. Hmm. We have everything built into us to know when we're full, to know like our hunger cues. Like if you tune in, you can be in touch, but it was so out of touch with all of it that part of the practice was like, okay, if you want 10 cookies, eat 10 cookies. Right. And the cool part is the next day, like your body is so smart. The next day your body's like, please don't ever touch cookies. Like we we do not want cookies. Yeah, that's what I saw. It was like someone um, on TikTok, she was talking about someone who's like, I want taco, I always want Taco Bell on Taco Bell every day or whatever. And she's like, what do I do? And she's like, then you have taco, you should have Taco Bell every day. Because at some point, like you just said, she's like, your body's going to be like, you know what, maybe I'm craving like a sandwich instead of Taco Bell or a salad or whatever, Um, which I think is so interesting and not something that's like taught at all. No, no, we're taught like, and I don't, you know, for me with eating, like, I don't know what I was taught, to be honest. Like, sure. It, in terms of my, it's like, I don't know, I was maybe taught that like processed foods are fine. If you can pick a vegetable, like I used to eat growing up, like pizza with a glass of orange juice, like things that today I'm like, that is bananas. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, intuitive eating is so cool. Cause it's sort of like, you kind of reteach your body to be like, Hey, I trust you. I trust that you know what you want. And like when I had like the uh, period during the recovery where I was um, sick, I got like a cold or something Mm -hmm. and I came in and I reported like what I ate. I don't, I I didn't keep track. Some people with eating disorders like to, you know, can keep track of their, what they eat that day and it helps them. And some it doesn't. So for me, it was like stopping keeping track. You know, I was like a religious sort of like log the calories, log my exercise. I was logging everything. Um, it's like a full-time job in all honesty, oh, like yeah. a waste of brain space and a full-time job. But, um, I had said, I was like, Oh, I didn't feel well. And all I wanted was like, and I'm gluten-free, but I was like, all I wanted was like bread and like pretzels and you know, all this stuff. And she's like, Oh, that's so, it's so intuitive. You're when you're sick, your body is burning so much calories to try to 
heal yourself. Like your, your body's working so hard that it burnt carbohydrates are the quickest way to, um, give your body fuel. So it like your body knows even when you're sick, what it needs. Yeah. 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 It's very cool. Um, you were talking about like self-trust and I'm curious if that is something that you've dealt with, like just in the realm of like eating disorders or if that extends outside of that. Um, and I mostly, whenever I have guests on, I'm like, I'm mostly asking this for myself, uh, because like, that's something that I'm learning how to do right now because I grew up with a narcissistic parent and a codependent parent. And so I never had to honestly like make decisions the decisions I would make would be whatever the narcissist wanted so that like I would get love because if I didn't I would well love would be withheld so now I'm like oh my god I don't trust my own decision making so I'm curious if if it's if it extends out further yeah I definitely relate to that I think yeah I think it extends you know I think that I'm no expert in disordered eating but I think that like it's not, it's never about eating. Right. Like Mm. I think, I think the underlying thing is like a desire for control, a desire to control something in your life when things feel very out of hand. And I think like the trust factor, it's like, yeah, I think similarly to you, it's like, you know, I've always kind of like had a good sense of who I am, but there were impulses and, um, feelings I didn't trust and didn't honor, right? Like self-abandonment consistently. Like, oh yeah. Oh my God. It's exhausting. But it's like in the name of people pleasing and making other people happy, I would not do what I needed to do or, you know, and, and you slowly do erode your own trust. Like whatever ounce of trust you're born with, you're kind of like, well, that's out the window. And I, I definitely think it's so interesting. I think I went through like a wave where it was like, I didn't trust myself. I was really uncomfortable speaking up like as a child, even like in, in early elementary school, I would get notes sent home being like, Stevie doesn't respond when spoken to like, like silent kid, you know? So I was, I had trouble even trusting that I could talk to other people or trusting that I knew what to say. Um, And I think like I had, I think I ended up building some self-worth and some self-esteem like somewhere in my early twenties, but then after moving to LA and being kind of surrounded by a new, a different style of people, like in college, my friends were like dancers and health conscious and move their body for the love of moving their body. And, um, ate because they were hungry. Like I kind of learned good habits from them and I would like work out, but then have like second breakfast. And I didn't think twice about it. Um, but after, when I moved to LA, I think being surrounded by, you know, women who were dieting pretty consistently. And I don't, I don't blame them, but a lot of my friends would be like, you should try this diet or we should go on this diet. Like, let's try keto or let's try this. And I was game because I'm curious. I think part of like my part of like one of my assets is like, I'm very curious. And it's also can like lean toward being a defect because I'm like, yeah, I'll go to that church with you. Yeah. I'll join, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, I'm open, but I think being surrounded by a lot of sort of other unhealthy eating things and like women on set and men on set being like, I didn't eat this morning. I haven't, I've just been doing a juice cleanse. I think I sort of just adopted a lot of bad habits in order to 
try to control what I looked like to, for myself and for other people. Mm -hmm. So yeah, trust was, trust is hard and it's hard to relearn how to trust yourself. Like it's like a daily act for me to trust. Like, Hmm, it's so weird. Like my gut says, don't go to the thing. I don't know why. And I honor it now, which is so wild because I felt the need to over explain everything, Mm. you know, or, or show up to everything. Yeah. What do you attribute like the ability to listen to your gut now? Like, is that through the therapy that you were talking about? Or is there anything else that you can attribute that to? It's so hard, isn't it? Because it's like, if you do a lot of, you seem like a person who also like very much does the work, you know? Oh, yeah. It's so hard to know. You're like, I don't know. I do so many. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I'm like, okay, I do somatic therapy. What is that? Can you explain what that is for me? Because I don't really know. It's like, yeah, yeah, you tell me. I think I can. Part of me is like, I don't know. Um, It's more about connecting mind and body. Okay. So some of the work involved, like, I think there's like cognitive behavioral therapy, which is like very heady. But for me, the last thing I need is like be in my head more, you know, I'm like, let's just connect this stuff so that I be like a whole functioning human. But like a lot of the stuff my, me and my therapist do is like, I'll close my eyes. She'll ask me to like picture what color a feeling is or where it's located in my body. Are there other sensations? Does it move? Like I've done, you know, and so that's been really helpful for me to learn how to trust myself because I think you can't really trust yourself if you don't know how you feel. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like I've done some of that. Like my therapist isn't like specifically somatic, but she's done some stuff like that before. And I've actually found that like that's really helpful when I'm in the middle of like a panic or an anxiety attack or whatever to like go back to your body, which is like you because you're so in your head in those moments. And like I, I it's been it was very grounding to like learn that. Yeah. It's so grounding. And it's used a lot in PTSD response, like in PTSD and in panic and stuff like that. And it's, it's, it's an incredible tool. Like, and I think all therapy is incredible, but for me, somatic has been like, man, it's been a game changer. I feel like I'm in my, I live in my body now. And I feel like a lot of the time I was like buzzing around in some sort of like upper body shell where I'm just like, no wonder most of my decisions were super weird, you know? Cause it's like, I was I was sort of flailing. It feels like you're flailing, right? Mm. But yeah, yeah, so I've done somatic therapy. I've done trauma therapy. I'm in a 12-step program. I do TM. Like, I- We're so similar. Really? I'm like, yeah, as you're speaking, I'm like, I'm in two programs. I'm in two 12-step programs. I yeah. also do TM and like did that course. So it's, like, it's so funny as you're speaking. I'm like, cool. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? It's like, but I do find, and it's interesting. It doesn't surprise me that you do all those things because it's almost like, I find that like my work life mimics my spiritual life, like how we're both multi-hyphenates, right? Right, exactly. It makes sense that we would need a lot of different things to like, but I also feel like everyone does. Like my thing is like, there's like a pie chart, right? Of like your life and like balance. It's like creativity, spirituality, movement, um, you know, mental health, like whatever, like all these different things, relationships. And it's like, I think we need a little bit of everything. You know, we need a little bit of like that whole sort of circle, but yeah, I do it all. And I'm willing to do it all. Like I pull mantra cards every day. I go on a walk every single day, always move my body. And what's so cool is it's not about weight for me now, which is, well, it's about like my brain and it's healthy for my brain and my body. Yeah. 
I completely relate to that. And I feel like, I guess I can only speak for myself, but I, I feel like I was taught that like, oh, you move your body to lose weight. That's it. Yeah. That's that's the thing. If you want to lose weight, you move your body. You don't need to move your body unless you're trying to lose weight. Like mm. truly it was like that. And it wasn't until recently like that I discovered Pilates a couple years ago where I was like, oh, this is not at all about losing weight. This is how like my mind feels during and after. And like like you, I think you said earlier, like moving your body in a way that you love or that like feels good to you, which yeah. I feel like I think – I think people on like the coast or in cities maybe have more access to like different ways to move your body than like the rest of the country or whatever. But like when I talk to people, it's like that's still a foreign concept to to a lot of people. I know. And it's so interesting because like my life sort of revolves around what can I do to feel good? Like that's really like sort of my whole thing. And that includes working out. And it is foreign. Like when people like and I always hesitate because people I get a lot of questions about like what I do for my workouts, right? Mm -hmm. And I hesitate because the reality is there's almost no consistency because I do what feels good that day, right? And so like sometimes it's a walk. Sometimes it's dancing in my living room. Sometimes it's doing a class. Sometimes it's a hike. I love being outside. So that always makes me feel good. I like doing yoga, but like I like weight training. You know, I have a trainer and we weight train once a week, but I do it all because I like it, but I don't, I don't engage in any exercise that I don't like. Like, I don't, I don't believe in it. I'm like, if it makes me feel good and I feel good doing it, I'm good with it. But I do not punish myself anymore at all. Yeah. I was going to say, is that, is that mentality of like, I do what I do um, to feel good. Have you always been like that? Like growing up or like in your, okay. Yeah. Cause I'm like, that's new concept for me is like, oh, I should do things that feel good? Like what? And to, I'm sure to a lot of people, they're like, yeah, no shit, Rebecca. But to me, I'm like, okay, this is new. Uh, like what's your journey with that? Same. No, it's so new. It's like new as of maybe the past two years new. Mm-hmm. You know? like, me it's too. like it's brand new. But, you know, I find that most people, when I say that, they do kind of look at you like, what are you talking about? Because my, I mean, my old way of being was like, it was just so rigid. It was like, you know, everything's for like super efficiency. Um, yeah, it was like in the name of efficiency almost. It was like efficiency, getting the most of everything, like the most out of my time, the most out of my day, jam packing my day. Um, no, I don't have time for meditation. You know, like who has time for that? Why would you sit down for 30 minutes twice a day to do that? Um, yeah, no, I, I think I was only able to come to that through like a gentler way of living, you know? Mm-hmm. And And I think that's a very weird concept for a lot of people. Sometimes my life does look like I had an ex-boyfriend one time make fun of me and be like, all you do is go to yoga and um, therapy. And I remember being like, yeah, it's what makes me feel good. And you benefit from that every single day. It's a crazy thing to make fun of someone for taking nice care of themselves. Totally. I think it also has to do with the fact that our society is so capitalistic in that like if you're not quote unquote contributing or like adding value to like fucking making money essentially, then like you're bad. You're a bad person. Yeah. Yeah. You're like lazy. You're bad. Yeah. you're like living this like weird hippie lifestyle when you're just like kind of doing what seems more natural. Like to me, I'm like, how I live today seems incredibly natural in comparison to the level of force and like, I don't know, just sort of like 
regimented lifestyle I lived before that felt completely and totally unmanageable and led to me developing an eating disorder, you know, really distorted thinking, like all of those things. And today I'm like, no, that doesn't work. It just doesn't work. But you have to like, I do feel like you do have to hit a low point to be like, this isn't working anymore. I must try something different. Yeah. In that process of like trying something different and following the impulse to like enjoy yourself and do things that feel good, did did you lose any like loved ones, whether it's friends or family who are like, you've changed, you know, that classic, like you've changed type of thing. Or did anybody, did everybody kind of like come along for the ride? Um, you know, I think most people came along for the ride, which is really nice. And I think most people were totally accepting and understanding of like a new way of being, but I will say part of feeling good for me is not people pleasing anymore. And like, there's like a saying that's like, when you stop people pleasing, people aren't pleased. And I'd have, I did experience a lot of that. Like, I feel like the new life of like being like, I lead with what feels good led to also me having like better boundaries with other people. Like, for example, like I used to have, like, I had this friendship where my slipper, where uh, <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, I would answer the phone first thing every morning for this person's phone call, right? Every morning. And it, and this person was always in chaos and crisis. And, and this was long time ago, but like, I would answer every call. I, I was like spending my life sort of being someone else's mommy or therapist, you know, like I spent so much of my life doing that for other people. And, and it wasn't for free and for fun, right? Because I was building resentment. I was like, why am I showing up like this? It doesn't even feel good. And I think when I started setting boundaries, that was like the first time I started setting boundaries and man, it, it created all sorts of weirdness. And like, I'm not friends with that person today. Um, probably the best thing that ever happened to me, if I'm honest, like that relationship dissolving and teaching me that like, I was spending my life, like I have a thing on my fridge that I wrote that my therapist asked me and she's like, who are you living your life for? And no, and it wasn't for me. Like, and it made me cry because I I had like realized that I spent a lot of my time and most of my energy living my life to make other people happy. And the craziest part about it is they're not happy with you. Even when you do that, like you can't, you know, a bottomless pit is not going to be happy because you showed up to everything, you know? And for me, like the learning about myself, learning what feels good and doesn't feel good led to boundaries that led to definitely hemorrhaging some friendships. But I will say this today, the friends I have are killer. Like they take good care of themselves. They show up for themselves. They respect my boundaries. I respect their boundaries. Um, we don't abandon one another for having boundaries. You know, we don't punish each other. It's like friendship based on health and showing up and fun and play. And most of my friendships were not fun. Like Mm. that was the thing too. I remember thinking like one day, one of my friends was like, I went dancing with my friends and all this stuff. And I was like, I literally do not have a friend that I have fun with. Like this was maybe like seven years ago where I was like, none of my friendships are fun. They were awful. (laughs) Yeah. That's like big. That's big. This like, who are you living your life for is huge. It's such a big question. And like it, it, uh, it's definitely getting me thinking for sure. Um, 
how did you learn boundaries? You said it was a pretty recent thing, right? Well, I guess I've been learning, you know, probably since therapy, which is like 10 years ago, I started learning them. Um, you know, my program, I learned them in, I, I think it's like a compilation of things, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's like a compilation, but it was a slow burn for me. Like, I didn't understand what they even meant. Like when I heard that people have boundaries, they're just like, oh, people say no, you know, or whatever. Yeah, or yeah, like people are mean and don't do everything. Or like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, people say, no, I don't want to do that. Like, you yeah, know, exactly. and you think of the most like aggressive way to have a boundary, <laughs> you know, but it was very slow. I, it's still difficult for me if I'm really honest. Like, like even getting an invitation, like there's a saying that's like, um, an invitation or a text message is not a subpoena, but like, I know joke treated every, like probably 10 years ago, treated every text message like it was a subpoena. Like I must go do that thing. Um, and I think only with like a bit of pause and, you know, checking in with myself, I'm able to kind of be like, I don't actually feel like doing that. Like, I don't want to do that. Um, but boundaries are hard. They're really hard. Oh my God. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't grow up seeing them. So like, like you, I was like, what the fuck is this? Like had no idea what it was. Um, did you have boundaries? Did you like see boundaries like clearly for you growing up? No, I think we, it sounds like we had a very similar child. <laughs> this checks out. <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, um, no, I, you know, the boundaries that were set, I think, as a kid were tricky because they were kind of ever moving. The goalposts were moving a bit and they were pretty harsh or um, or just specifically about one thing, like being like, don't go in mommy's room or sure. whatever, you know what I mean? Things like that. But no, I grew up sort of seeing... Um, a lot of enmeshment and things like that that lead to you being th- thinking that boundaries are selfish actually like yes me too yep so that's a wild thing because you're like i must enmesh to be a loving human only to realize as an adult that like you lose yourself it's honestly on some level it's completely dishonest right but yeah. also like in my generation i'm like who grew up with proper boundaries like I feel like it's like it feels almost like a new it's not a new concept but it feels like almost like we accept that word today whereas like I think if you would talk to me about it 15 years ago I'd be like what are you talking about mm-hmm. yeah I mean we definitely are like I th- I think and I hope like with each generation we're becoming like more and more open to like therapy and program and like new terminology and uh, mental health and self-help and all that thing because I feel like previously it's like self-help books were like a punchline in so many like tv shows you know where people are like oh like that like that's just so embarrassing or like you know stuff like that and now we're like everybody's like yeah fuck yeah Brene Brown like you know all that stuff yeah yes yeah, becoming like totally normalized honestly like the amount of like therapists online that I follow it's like it's it's humiliating <laughs> <laughs> I love it there's like a specific boundary coach on tiktok that like tells you things to respond when like when people ask you certain things or comment on your body and all this stuff. And I'm like, that is so cool. Oh, wait, so I cool. need to follow. I need to find this and follow it. What is what does she say? She or he say about um, 
when people comment on your body because they feel like because we're in the industry we're in that is something that we hear and have to deal with a lot and yeah. I'm curious of what she says to do I'm like gonna look her up right now so that okay. I don't okay so BuzzFeed actually did an article about um this woman so she gives like boundary phrases essentially and let me see what her name is boundary coach cami orange i think i'm okay. thinking that so she gives boundary phrases and like i just remember one where the response was oh that's a really weird thing to say to me or like that's a weird thing to say out loud and mm -hmm. like i know and it's so good because honestly also like that was like tying it all together. That was also a big part of eating disorder therapy is teaching people how not to comment on my body. Yes. Yeah. Because it's so crazy. At the peak of my eating disorder, people were like, you look amazing. Yep. Oh, do I relate to that? And then I'm like, okay, well, now I'm just going to keep doing the same thing because I'm getting like positive reinforcement. Cool. Yep. And you're like, I look killer and people are noticing and everyone loves me for this and I'm doing something right. And you're like, cool, let's keep all this bad bit like this sort of like cyclical toxic behavior so that I can keep getting these compliments. But I, I actually, you know, it's pretty incredible. Like I know parents are very difficult to try and teach boundaries to, but you know, I talked to my mom about this and I ended up telling her like, this is like probably in the beginning of eating disorder therapy. It was like seven years ago. I said to her, I was like, it's very important for me um, to not hear comments about me looking thin or slight or skinny or um, chubby or fat. Like none of those are bad words, but to me, for, for me and my body, I don't gauge myself like that. Like, so I said, I'm okay with you commenting that I look healthy. I'm okay that if you comment that you think I look like I'm happy, but I'm not okay with comments about the size or shape of my body wow. because I don't care what the size or shape of my body is. I care that I feel good and I'm healthy. Yeah. Which is like huge. I'm sure that's like a huge change from what you were experiencing like prior than to 2015 and like getting comp quote unquote compliments or people thinking that they're giving compliments or whatever. Yeah. I mean, huge shift and, and huge shift to actually mean it too. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. You know, because it's like you can say that all you want, but to actually mean that you that you're okay with your body taking on whatever shape that it needs to, knowing your body is smart and doing the best to protect you. I'm just sort of like, I really am okay with that today. Um yeah, it's a yeah. very it's a very kind of like mind-blowing concept from where I used to be. Uh, totally. Did your mom like handle it well? Was it like hard to say to her or like well, I don't know what your relationship is, so yeah, I think it's hard. I think it's hard to sort of like, I don't know if you have this experience, but it's hard to sort of like ask someone to do something differently that we've all done the same way for forever, right? Sure. It's, it's like asking a partner, like telling a partner you suddenly don't like something and it's kind of like jarring for them because it's because you, you're changing, you know what I mean? And it felt like that for me. It felt very vulnerable. I felt very like, embarrassed that I even, there was a part of me that was embarrassed that I even needed to say it, you know, but it does feel like a nice way to protect yourself. And she, re she responded very well to it. And today when she gives me compliments, she literally says things like, you look really healthy. I and mean, like that's all we can do is like teach people how to treat us, you know, and then 
And then when they do it, great. If they don't set a boundary, like, yeah. Have you had experience where it's like, you've set a new, like you've set a new boundary. You've had to tell someone a new boundary and they're just kind of like, what? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All the time. I mean, I feel like, um, I kind of feel like my whole, I don't want to say my whole personality has changed, but like I'm a pretty different person now than I was even like you said, like two years ago, like definitely like five years ago, but even two years ago, I'm just different. Once I found like the programs that were helpful for me, I, I finally put my wants and needs out there where before I was like, I didn't really have any because I was like, whatever you're the person I'm with, whatever their wants and needs are, are my wants and needs. And that like definitely caused a huge shift in my personal life because it's like I'm not I'm now asking for things that the people around me didn't even know I wanted before and it's like whether or not that lines up with who I am now and so yeah I mean I can't I still am experiencing that yeah yeah it makes so much sense and it's like that weird it's like that weird thing of like setting a new boundary with someone you've been in relationship for a while with and you have to say things like I know this is different than what I said last week. <laughs> right. And it's Which, also like it's not their fault either because they're used to being that way because I've accepted the how they've behaved in that in that situation, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's like we've all played a part in it, right? Like yes. it's, Yeah. So it's like I know it's like you can't blame someone. It, there's like this weird thing with boundaries where it's like you can't blame someone for being upset that you're changing the boundary because it has been a whole different way the entire time, right? Mm-hmm. So the boundary is new and it takes people some like time to get used to, I think. But I think if explained with like gentleness and love, I do think they can go over well, but it is very weird. Like I, you know, I have an experience in um, my relationship I'm in now where sometimes I have to kind of readjust a certain boundary around like a a, a topic we talk about. And I'll have to be like, I know that I said that I don't want to talk about this unless it's under this circumstance, but I'm feeling like that's a little rigid and I'll like kind of shift it. And it's, it can be confusing, Yeah. but like, but they are kind of meant to change. Like that's the weird part too, is people respond. Like when you set a boundary, people respond as if you've like cut them off at the knees. But I think the reality of boundaries is like, they're meant to change because you're changing because relationships are ever changing. And I, I don't know. Part of me is like, I would love it if someone sat me down and set a boundary with me. <laughs> yeah, totally. And like, I would argue like I needed to set boundaries with myself too. Because um, oh. I was just, uh, I just, I just didn't have my head on my shoulders because I was so caught up with um, like people pleasing. Like, to, you know, to, if we're going to distill it down to like a word or a phrase, it's like, yeah. I will put my wants and needs aside for yours because yes. that's what you do because you're selfless and that's what a selfless person does. And if you don't, then you're mean, which is yeah. so crazy. But that's like what I thought. You know, it's also crazy because what we learn about people pleasing after we stop people pleasing is that people pleasing is straight up just being dishonest. Yeah. So what's so funny about it is like we think we're doing something. We're like, we're nice because we're just like doing what they want. And at the end of the day, it's like, No, you're just not saying what you want, which is withholding information, dishonesty, because the reality is we all have wants and needs. And I don't know about you, but like, I freaking love when I like set a plan with someone and I'm like, what are you, what are you feeling like for dinner? And they're like, 
I don't feel like chicken. I kind of feel like this. What, what about these two options? I love when people are discerning and like have an opinion. Mm. So It's so bizarre that, you know, for me, I spent most of my life being like, I'm good with anything. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, I'm a vegetarian. I'm like, chicken's fine. <laughs> it's good. We're good to go. Yeah, like, love steak, love chicken. Steak out good. Yeah. It's like, and it's also like people pleasing is manipulative, right? Because it's like, how can you I behave? Okay. Yeah. It's like, how can I behave to get the response from you that I want? Which is, for me, was normally like, as anything, as long as you don't abandon me. Because I'm like, my core wound is abandonment. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and, and to me, I'm like, isn't that everyone's like, part of me's like, there's a part of me that's like, all of it distills down to not wanting to be abandoned. Right. Like it's like a primal need to not be abandoned. And I'm like, everything's like fear of, um, not fitting in is fear of abandonment, fear that someone won't love you, fear of abandonment. It's all like fear of abandonment shit. Mm-hmm. It just manifests in different ways for different people. I feel like yeah, it's like it manifests in creative ways. <laughs> <laughs> real create. It got real creative over here for me. <laughs> Same. It was fun for a bit. <laughs> how did um, because you were in program during COVID and during quarantine. How did how was that uh experience? And how did you deal with? Because obviously a lot of shit was brought up for a lot of people when you're stuck inside, either alone or with certain people or whatever for an extended period of time, either like you get introspective and you learn about yourself or you learn about the person that you're living with. And I'm curious about what your experience with that is. It was the same for me as it was with therapy, which is like, I thoroughly enjoyed being able to stay at home and do everything on Zoom. Like I loved it. Honestly, same with podcasting. I'm like, podcasting became more fun. Like I'm an introvert. So for me being at home, I'm like a highly sensitive person and an introvert. So being at home for me is like, yeah, I'll stay here forever. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah. So it's like, I felt a lot of community from just being on Zoom personally. Like, and honestly, like really worked. I worked it. Like I worked all of it. I actually took that, those like two years bordering on three years. And I did almost daily meetings. I did weekly therapy. I did trauma therapy. I like worked it. And I, I loved, I loved the Zoom aspect of it. I don't think I've gone to, in all honesty, I think I've like not really gone back in person to anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I first started in a program via Zoom. So yeah. So like during COVID. So like for me, I go to in-person now, but like it's, it's pretty different. It's like a different experience. They both give you different things. It's same with like, with like therapy too. People are like, um, well, you know, if you have therapy, why do you need program or whatever? And it's like, well, it's like, pretty different because like you're in an individual versus like in the collective community yeah it's so different I think it's so different it's it'd be like the same question as like if you're already in therapy why would you need eating disorder therapy too you know what I mean like it's like they're like different subsects I feel like I feel like especially if you've grown up in something right if you grew up learning something or whatever I I think they're like so specific that you do need different groups for it you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. I think like I don't know I think all like 12 step programs are incredible. I'm like, they are a free service. That's so rad that you can just go to whenever you want. And they're so accessible. Um, but I think the same thing with like groups, like groups, like, um, people grieving loved ones. And like, I, during the pandemic, there was like a group of, um, people raising elderly dogs. Like I have an elderly dog and there was like a community for that. And I'm like, I don't know, the more specific it is, I feel like the more, help you get 
or at least community, like feeling not alone, you know, like I I love that about, I love that about the pandemic that it was like, yeah, there were days I felt very alone, but most of the time I felt like I was still in community. Yeah. Which I feel like is super important for me because when I'm going through a challenging time, I tend to like isolate because I'm, I am an introvert as well. And so it's like, I thrived, I actually thrived during the like quarantine aspect of the pandemic. It's now coming out of it with all of these new like characteristics or learned behaviors or whatever, like coming out of it after being introspective for two or three years and being like, oh fuck, how do I like reintegrate into this like new world? So it's, I'm having a harder time now than I did during. Me too, very much. And I think probably for most introverts, that's true because and at least for people who don't like setting boundaries, because here's what I experienced with that, which I'm like, uh, I hate it. Okay. So like something I loved, like I love my friends, but something I loved during the pandemic was I didn't get asked to do anything. I didn't get asked to go to coffee midday with people. I didn't get asked to go out. I didn't get asked to be on someone's podcast, right? Like I didn't get asked to do anything. So there was nothing to respond to. It was amazing. It was like, It was like as if I had set my own boundaries for my life and was like, wow, these are working. But then when the pandemic lifted and people started going out and the asks started rolling in, that's when I started being like, I feel flooded. I feel like no one announced that it was over. So I feel confused. Like, are we allowed to go to coffee with people? Like, should we be sitting with people? How many people are okay? This person's having a birthday party, but it's outside. That's fine. And the stimulus and the sort of like asks started like raising and that's what makes it's to this day still like I'm like I just want to go like one week without somebody asking me to go to coffee like Mm. for real I just want one week of people not asking me to sit with them and do something I don't want to do yeah did you experience that with like work too like being because you're an artist and a photographer as well as an actor so I'm curious like when the like quarantine lifted or whatever, were you inundated with like work asks too? And like, how did you manage that? I think those stayed consistent somehow during the pandemic. Oh, really? Yeah. So like I was working throughout, like I was doing photography throughout and I was acting throughout. I was auditioning a lot, like a lot of self tapes, a lot of stuff like that. So that felt like it didn't ever die. Like Mm. for me, um, which is interesting because I also kind of like I thrive when I'm working. I'm a, I like working. I love like knowing that something's going to be two hours and then going home. Like, I love that aspect of working. So the work part was fine for me and I get to make my own schedule when it comes to photography. So I can like, I get to schedule in meditation if I want. Right. Which I do a lot. If I have two sessions, I'll do like, I'll make sure there's like an hour in between or something. So I can kind of cater to my own needs and wants, but yeah, I found I socially, I struggle socially with boundaries more than I struggle with work. Work Got is it. easy. For me. Like, I'm unavailable. Like I can right. just be like, I'm out of town. Bye. <laughs> that that makes sense. Um, For your meditation, how did you get into TM? Because I know for me, I was like, because everybody's like, meditate, meditate. I'm like, okay, let's try this guided meditation. And I was like, oh, well, now I'm more anxious. They're like, now there's more thoughts. Like someone's telling me to do the thing and now I got to do the thing. And so when I found like TM, uh, transcendental meditation, uh, it was very, cause you don't, there's no, obviously there's no one talking to you during it and you're just with yourself. And I found that like 
a lot easier for me than the other one. And I'm curious what your uh, experience with that is. I felt the same, which is so bizarre if you really think about it, because it's like, why would that be more comfortable? Like, I know. But I think, <laughs> but I think for people, I think for people who got out of touch with what they want, right, and what feels good, I think it's like a relief. Like for me, it felt like a relief. I I also did the same. I, I had the same journey you did. I I like, or as similar as it could be. Um, I am you. I am. You. <laughs> we are one. <laughs> this is, we're just actually talking to ourselves right now. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun conversation. <laughs> um, I I had probably like started meditating. Honestly, probably like. 20 years ago with like guided meditations and I love them. And I was like, this is fun. But I think at some point I realized I was like, I don't think it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. I think all meditation is great. But for me, I was like not noticing my thoughts slowing down, not noticing my decisions being better. Right. Like it was like, sort of like I wasn't getting the feeling of sort of like serenity through doing it. And so many friends over the years, like when I first moved to LA, my boyfriend did TM and he was like, you should do TM. And I was like, I want nothing that you have. So like, I can't, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And it was a lot of people suggesting it to me over a long period of time. So many people, I went to like probably three different orientations, and like one of them was in my neighborhood. I didn't like the vibe. The vibe felt so off. The woman seemed like she was so mad. And I was like, this can't be right. I went to a different one at like a place in Malibu where the guy seemed like he was about ready to start a cult. And I was like, okay, this feels weird too. And it was, I think it was like in 2018. I, I don't, I dated, oh my God, I dated a guy who was like, I learned TM from the David Lynch Foundation. Right. And I was like, and he seemed pretty chill. Like he seemed like, it seemed like it was working for him. And I remember hearing it. I didn't start it right away. When he and I stopped seeing each other, I was like, I'm going to go check it out. I went to an orientation. The orientation felt 10 times better than all the other places. And keep in mind, they're all TM, right? They were all the same thing. Good, a good reminder that like, not it's not all equal you know what I mean like yeah. you can mm-hmm. trust your gut with like which thing feels right for you um and then which I is the did- same for like program meetings too not to interrupt you but it's like it's like someone will go to one program and they're like it's not for me and I'm like I you gotta go to like gotta go again or try to go to a different one or whatever anyway yeah they always say like go to six different meetings yeah. to see which one's right for you and it's like honestly I would recommend going to 20 before you like because some have such a bad energy or weird vibe or honestly are in a weird space like for mm-hmm. me like, I'm so sensitive that if I'm like in a weird space that feels creepy I'm like I can't be here you know yeah me too <laughs> yeah, me too is- or if it's like too clicky feeling I'm like and I'm out yeah because I'm like I don't want to be in that like yeah, it, yeah there's, there's just a level of like you really got to find your people and I feel like I did that with TM and I was so good. I will say this. I was so on it for the first, like, I don't know, like four year, four-ish years, three-ish years. And I have really fallen off this past year. Like I maybe get in one meditation a day. There are weeks where I only get in one meditation a week. So I'm like, oh, I'm, on, I'm on the TM struggle bus, if I'm honest. But I will say this. I do think it still works, even if you just do it when you remember. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Yeah, I really think so. But I was the same way, like when I first learned it, which was, I guess, probably like 2019, like right before uh, the pandemic, I took like two different courses. I took one and you could do it again or whatever uh, for free. And so I was like, I'm doing this again. 
And I was like, I'm on it. Yeah. It's like a meditation corner. It looks beautiful. It's a space I want to spend time in. Let's do it. And now I'm like, I never go there. <laughs> oh, I know. It's so funny. It's like the feeling of first starting like a meditation practice, you're like, I am never not going to do this. Yeah. Like, you're just like, I will always do this for forever. I will never drop off the bus. <laughs> and when I would like hear in meetings, like I would sometimes go to like meetings, like meditation meetings, and you'd hear people sharing about their experience and like be like, I dropped off and I was like, Ugh, I'll never be that person. And like, wow, how humbling that like all it took was the world starting back up sure. again. And I'm like now I can't meditate. Yeah, totally. Do you ever experience like um, where you are working on your, where you feel like you're working on yourself like too much? Because sometimes I go through this thing where I'm like, you know what? I just want to fucking exist. I don't want to like like I don't want to be like a self-improvement project for myself because I really do like do the work but sometimes it's like I feel like it's to a detriment and I'm, I'm like just interested in your experience same honestly same yeah I think I think I have the tendency it's like that thing of like the curiosity where I'm like I'll try that and I'll try that and I'll read this book I'm like I think I've read every literal self-help book you could read like I love them and I will always read them like in my audible right now is like a book on how to parent um a book on like I have like a um, my partner has a son, so I, he's five. And so I'm like learning about that and like reading something about how to make marriage last. And I'm like, yeah, I go, I go to the extremes of learning and reading about everything. And I do have to sometimes remind myself that like, and I do this, like I take myself on artist dates as a result. Like, so I'll take myself like an artist way. Obviously you've probably yeah. done that. You are who you are. Cause nope. we are the same. Cause me and you are the same person. <laughs> Because we've melted into one. We don't even have to people please, because honestly, we just like the same shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I did the artist race. So I take myself on artist dates. So like when I realize that I'm getting like too worky or too rigid or too serious, I just like take myself to get a massage. I have a list of things I like. That's Ooh. something I keep a list of things I like and that make me feel good. Love that. And I have like my partner on it. Like I have like, I love my partner. I love, honestly, I have this on it. I love Zevia. And like, I remind myself of like tiny little things and also big things that I love. Um, I like going for walks and stuff like that. And so I incorporate those when I feel like I'm getting a little too like, let's work on ourselves. Let's read about ourselves. Let's take this quiz about, am I this, you know? And I just, yeah, I think it's, I think it's important to learn about yourself. And I also think it's important to let yourself have fun. Like I took a candle making class recently by myself because I was like, I think I need to just like have some fun. Yeah. See, that's what I'm working on right now is like, um, I guess kind of like if we're going to like talk in like therapy jargon, like healing my inner child and doing things that are fun because they're fun. Even yes, if it's like small else. things like like uh, putting my f like bare feet in like dirt or sand or whatever, which is like. In LA, you, you don't do that very often if you don't live on the beach. And it's like, I don't have a yard. It's like my yard is a, like concrete. It's like a cement <laughs> patio. And so it's like I rarely get a chance to even do that. But like when I do, I'm like, oh, my God, this is such a tiny thing. But it's like very helpful. So now my thing is like I'm trying to just do more fun shit, which is crazy that I'm even like I have to think about trying to do something fun. I know because it seems like it comes very naturally to most people. Yeah. I'm going to have fun. And I'm like, I have to like schedule it. Like I have to be like, and Saturday is my day for fun times. And like, yeah. I have to, it's so silly, but I know I feel very similar where I'm like, and I used to cringe, like truly cringe when people used to say inner child. Like I would be like, 
oh my God. And I think you only feel that way until you realize that you need to do the work on it. And then you're like, oh, no, no. But like, we had such a good sense as kids on like how to enjoy ourselves, how to have fun, like do something for nothing. Like, do you know what I mean? Like I spent so much time, um, like in the frog pond when I was a kid and I would collect frogs and I'd hold frogs and like my whole childhood was like animal based, you know, I had a dachshund and I loved bunnies and I had a bunch of bunnies and I just had them because I loved them. Right. Like that was all there was to it. And I, everything I did as a kid was stuff I loved. And it's so weird as an adult adding fun back in, cause it's all the stuff I did as a kid. It's mm-hmm. everything I liked as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. It's wild to even like take the time to think about that too, which is like, at least I'm giving myself credit for that. It's like, well, I'm, at least I ha- like know about, it. I'm aware of it, which feels like the, the first yeah. kind of thing. I also think it's like a part of recovery, right? Like when we talk about recovery, to me, I'm like, it's like recovering the old pieces of you, the pieces that were like untouched by anything, anything like bad, like the pieces of you that were so pure, like the piece of you that liked to ride their bike until like the sunset or, you know, the piece of you that could sit in a room and build like doll furniture or whatever. And it's like, I like recovering that. That stuff feels so good to this day. And having having things that are just fun for fun's sake for free and for fun is like oh it makes it to me that's what makes my life worth living now yeah truly and I do think like because for me in recovery and I'm sure other people too it's like well we no longer have that thing that we thought was fun like that if that was like our fun thing or if that was our thing to check out and we like didn't have to think about the rest of the world while we were doing this thing it's like I don't have that thing anymore So what am I going to replace that with? Because I can't be so present in the world that I'm like, uh, that it makes me more depressed. Like I need an outlet. I need a reprieve somehow. So it's like finding what is that for me now that I don't have like substance. It's kind of fun, isn't it? Like, have you got, have you taken any time to like explore different things? Like, I feel like when people start doing the fun stuff, they're like, I took this dance class and I did this. Like, have you had any time to explore different fun stuff? I mean, oh yeah, actually I started taking the drum lessons. Oh, cool. (laughs) Yeah. So like, I'm like, not great, but I've taken like a handful of lessons. It's so fun. You get your fucking anger out on it. It's like, I've I've always wanted to do something in music and it's just like very fun and different. So I did that. And that's like also kind of how I discovered art. Like I started with watercolor because I was just like, this feels fun and to fuck around and then it evolved from there. So yeah, you're totally right. You make, you make like resin art, right? Yeah. I use like, um, just like pretty much whatever's in anybody's junk drawer, but it tend, the things that people like tend to be in the expired vitamins and pills category. And I just feel like I had so many like vitamin shit in my house that I was like oh at one point I was like I need vitamin d I need vitamin b12 I need and so they were just sitting there because at some point I was like I don't fucking want to do this anymore this is way too much work and so then I just started making it out of that and people were like oh that's cool I originally did it for me but then people were like can I buy that and I was like what the fuck yeah sure it is so cool I know I was looking at them online and I was like I think you make these and I couldn't quite tell do you know what I mean I was like yeah like the dots but I was like I'm pretty sure you make these it's so smart and it's so cool and aesthetically very pleasing oh thanks thanks yeah I just I'm trying to not trying to be um mindful about the waste I contribute to the world I like that 
Yeah. Um, okay. My last question is like, do you have any piece of advice that you would give to anybody listening right now, whether it's somebody um, in recovery or a people pleaser who's looking to like break that pattern, anything that you think would be helpful that you've like learned along your journey? Gosh. That know. we haven't talked about because we've already talked about so many. The thing yeah. that I like is the list of things that make you feel good. I'm going to after we do this, I'm making one. Yeah, you know, maybe that is like, I, I do love a piece of like a suggestion that is actionable, like, because other suggestions to me, I'm always like, well, yeah, that's nice in theory. How do I do? How do I get there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say my suggestion would be to write an incredibly long list of all the things that make you feel good and reference it anytime you feel bad or you feel like you lose sight of yourself. Like, you can even keep them. I keep mine in my art room. I have like an art room and I keep them individually on like, I tape them to the wall and I change them as I need to. But like, yeah, I'd say keep a list of things you like. So you stay in touch. You can stay in touch with like who you are. I love that. Uh, thank you so much for giving me an hour of your time. This was such a treat. And I'm glad that we know that we are the same person now. I know my literal pleasure. It's nice to meet your twins so late in life, but I know, right? I'm just glad that one of us has bangs is all. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of How the Fuck Did You Bounce Back with guest actor, comedian, photographer, painter, Stevie Nelson. You can find her on Instagram. Her handle is I am Stevie Nelson. Thanks again for listening. New episodes every Thursday.